0: Scripture reading for today is taken from Hebrews 3, beginning at verse 7, on page 1002 in your Pew Bible. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, <coughs> unless there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But extort one another every day, as long as it is called today, for that none of you may be pardoned by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Excuse me. As, in the, as it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. With those who have heard and yet rebelled, was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The word of the Lord.
1: We don't use the phrase, um, someone gets saved, or I was saved, as much as we might say, profession or faith, or um, part of the church or something. But, but if, if we were to think about salvation and if we were to say, when were you saved? Um, many of us might naturally look towards a particular event, a particular moment. Um some of us might say, well, you know, I was baptized at a certain time, and I grew up in the faith, and I always trusted Jesus, always heard about Jesus, and and I stood before the church and became part of the church um, after going through communicants class. And we're, we're hoping for some professions of faith after communicants class. Some of us who grew up in other traditions might um, Point to uh, walking an aisle after a revival and about nine or ten verses of Just As I Am. And that, that would be when we talk about someone getting saved. Or some people, it might have been signing a card at a Heaven's Gate, Hell Flames thing. For some, it might have been a youth event where you were gathered around a campfire and sang Pass It On or something like that. And you, you were asked to make a decision. In other words, many of us would, would think of a moment in the past where we made a decision. That, that seems to be the way conversation normally goes, and all of those are important, very important events in people's lives, probably very dear to you as you think back on uh, those moments in your life when you became uh, part of the church, when you exercised faith and made a profession, and yet my experience has often been that salvation is not as simple as that. Um, my experience has been there's often stages and steps in most people's lives. Not everybody, but m- many people come and say, You know, I made a profession of faith when I was a teenager. Um, in college, I drifted away, and at some point, I kind of decided, Am I going to be in or out? And I came back in and professed faith. And well, I didn't profess faith and get through, just kind of got back into church and decided, I'm all in. I want to do this. Um, I've had conversations with people talking about specific events in their life and not really sure when would be the time we talked about being regenerate and becoming a Christian. And my own life is much like that. I, I made a profession and when I was in elementary school. Um, I just, I, I believed. And I can remember later in high school, I, I went through, look, I'm a nerd, right? I mean, thank you for the lack of amens. But... <laughs> You know, so I did like this study of all the different faiths. I just want to make sure I wasn't a Christian because my parents were Christians. And I was convinced of the truth of Christianity, but I'm not sure I really made the commitment of I'm going to do, I'm really in on this. It was, it was later in life that, you know, I was convinced of the truth, but I really wasn't wanting to live like it. And later it was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to commit to this. And there were other moments even later of, you know, this is what salvation is. I understand this in a new way. And so, I'm not sure which of those points was really when God worked in my heart to reveal my sin and God's grace to me that I repented from my sin and trusted in Jesus. But I know God was using every moment of that. And then we also know people who make a profession and at some point we see less and less of them. And... Decades go by that we're not seeing them living as a believer, or even some who grow up and profess faith and then later renounce the faith and say they don't believe it. They don't. They think this is um, all made up. And so the the question comes: Well, what about those who make a profession and then they they don't do anything? Can somebody look back at that moment at the the campfire and say, well, that happened or their baptism, and therefore they can live? However, and um, they're, they're promised eternal life because of something, even though they've rejected, something we really deal with, and we, 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 we have to ask what's going on there, and it's something the writer of Hebrews is dealing with. The whole point of Hebrews is Jesus is superior, and the application of that is, then why would you ever reject Jesus and go back to anything else? If Jesus is superior, why reject him? Why fall away from the faith? And he's addressing people who are tempted to leave because of the pressures of following Jesus and go back to something else. And we saw how last week he was talking about, um, the writer was talking about um, being superior to Moses, and we looked at that from how he was a faithful priest. But there's also the reminder that Moses was the great deliverer, the one who brought them out of Exodus to the border of the promised land. And then this reminder of Jesus being superior to the great deliverer is that we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope. In other words, he puts a contingency there. And now he's going to expand on that with Moses being the great deliverer. And he takes these questions of our walk of faith and brings them to Scripture. He brings them to a psalm, the psalm we read earlier, Psalm 95, which has a warning. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And He's referring back to a moment of rebellion during the wilderness wandering. And then a quote, I swore my wrath, they will not enter my rest, referring to why they were wandering. And He's going to expound on this to help us understand that salvation is past, present, and future. We are both saved from something, but we're also saved to something else. We're saved from sin, but we're saved to eternal life. In some ways, we could talk about our salvation. Let me get my references from a handy three-by-five card here. We could talk about our salvation as being before the foundation of the world, as we were chosen in Him. Uh Paul, in, later in Ephesians, talks about um, it is by grace you have been saved, past tense, you've been saved by grace. And yet Paul later can talk about salvation as something you're in the midst of right now. It's not just a one and done, it's something that is continuing in our lives. When he says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, that the cross might be foolishness to the world but it is power of God and salvation for those who are being saved. Present tense, you're in the midst of it. That's us. We are being saved. We have been saved. But there's also a sense in which until we come to judgment day and Jesus looks at those who are trusting in Jesus clothed in him and look at him as one who perfectly kept all the Ten Commandments and perfectly obeyed him and says, you are acquitted. You are innocent because you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Until that day of acquittal um, that we're looking forward to, there's a sense in which it is a future that is coming to us when we will be free from sin, fully declared just, so that Paul can also, in Romans chapter 5, verse 9, saying... Now that we have been justified by faith, we shall be saved. That it's a future thing. We will be saved. And it is a certainty for those who are truly in Christ. And, so, and yet, there is a sense in which a true saving faith is a faith that is obedient and a faith that perseveres we, if we hold fast our confidence. Uh, later, a warning in here that we, we continue in that original uh, confidence, that original assurance, so that Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 9.27 can say that he beats his body into submission or disciplines his body, lest, having preached the gospel to others, he is disqualified. And so there is a reality of those who profess faith and appear to be true believers and yet don't continue and make it to the end. So, following the illustration from um, following the illustration we have here from the wilderness wandering, they were in Egypt. They were saved from Egypt, but there was a period of being saved from Egypt until they're actually in the promised land. And th- and that's the the image of our pilgrim life that we've been saved from sin, and all of our life is a wandering until we are into eternal life, until we are into the rest that has been promised, the rest that the, the promised land is pointing us to. And so let's look at what he does with this scripture. He, he's quoting Psalm 95 and he's going to ex- explain a few things from it. But first, look at verse 7. This, this is a mini-sermon, no additional charge. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says is the way he introduces. Do you catch what he's saying? The very words of Psalm 95 are the very words of God. They are the words of the Holy Spirit. The, the view he has when he quotes Scripture is, this is God's Word. He's, he's, he sees the very Scriptures as the Holy Spirit speaking to us today. And so when we read this, we have an understanding that it is the Holy Spirit speaking to us through his Scripture today. So first he picks up on this today. Um, And this is why I think he's quoting Psalm 95 rather than pointing to those passages from numbers that tell us about this rebellion. Um, He's saying, today. Uh, He picks up that and he says, this wasn't just for those people in the past in the wilderness wandering. This is for, it was for the people who heard the Psalm today this is a psalm that would be used in worship and so all of us who hear this psalm when it says today that is for us it is now it is the present moment today are you trusting in Jesus today are you following him in obedience today are you deciding so there's in one sense that we we can look back and say God has been wonderfully working in my life in in moments in my past when you know I I heard a message or a friend shared the gospel or I You know, I understood what it meant to follow and I committed myself. There's a sense in which we look back and say, well, it doesn't matter when of those things was actually my conversion because it is today that matters. Do I trust him today? Am I living in obedience to him? Am I submitting to him? Am I repenting? Am I following him today? So today you hear his voice. Don't harden your hearts. Because if it is something just in the past, but it does not continue, you might have been taken out of Egypt, but you don't enter the promised land. Faith that saves is a faith that perseveres. So it is today. And so he points out two events. One is, um, don't harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion in the wilderness. Uh, we read about Massa and Meribah and these were events where, you'll, you might remember, they were taken out of Egypt. They complained, we're really hungry. God gives them manna. And they wander around a little bit more, and it's, we're really thirsty. And they say, did you just bring us out to let us die in the wilderness? And, and if you read the story of what's going on there is they decide they're going to have a rebellion. They're going to overthrow Moses, and they're going to go back to Egypt. It'd be better to die in Egypt than wander around and deal with this. In other words, they saw all the miracles that God had done. They experienced his deliverance from Egypt, and yet they didn't trust him to provide and to care. And their disbelief led to a rebellious heart of, I'm turning away from this God who saved me, and I'm going back to Egypt. And the other event he refers to is, I sworn my wrath that will not enter my rest. This was... It was only a short time that the people came out of Egypt and they came to the border of the Promised Land. And you'll remember they sent spies in and the spies came back. They sent 12 spies and 10 of them said, they got really big soldiers and big weapons and we can't do it. And two said, they're big, but God's bigger. God is the one who's been with us. And all the people say, no, we're not going to go because they disbelieved God. They didn't trust God to deliver them. They didn't trust God to do what he said he would do. And that lack of belief led to their disobedience, led to their rebellion. And because of that, God had them wander in the wilderness for 40 years as a punishment until they died out and a new generation would go into the promised land. And so what he's saying is that we have been delivered from, have not been delivered into. And we need a faith that is a faith of obedience and a faith that perseveres. he goes on to say, who were those who heard and rebelled? It was all those who left Egypt. In other words, they were taken out but didn't go in. Who was he provoked? It was those who sinned, those who wandered in the wilderness. To whom did he swear they were not into the rest? It was those who were disobedient. But notice there in verse 19, those who were disobedient, so we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You see, he didn't say they sinned so much, God just could not forgive them anymore. They were so rebellious and so difficult that God just gave up on them. No, it's that their disobedience was a sign of their unbelief. It was the unbelief is the reason they didn't enter in. It wasn't they didn't do enough good deeds. It doesn't mean they sinned so much that God gave up. It means their sin was a sign of that disobedience. Do you understand the difference between causation and correlation? And apologies to those who heard this before. I'll give different examples, though. Um, I learned there was a website, spuriouscorrelations.com. That's not the address, but correlations when two things kind of happen in a similar instance. And we can be tempted to say, well, this seems to cause that. For example, the number of people um, who died by becoming tangled in their bedsheets has an almost one-to-one correlation with the per capita cheese consumption. One does not cause the other. Cheese doesn't cause you, but there's a correlation, right? Um, The other one on this wonderful website is the people who drowned after falling out of a fishing boat almost has a one-to-one correlation to the marriage rate in Kentucky. Now, I don't know why that seems like a very appropriate correlation, but getting married doesn't cause, well, it's a correlation. It's not a causality. Disobedience, unbelief. There is a causality. But it's not sin that causes unbelief. Good works is not causing your salvation. Doing good things and trusting in Jesus, I mean, sorry, trusting in Jesus, yes. Doing good things doesn't cause you to believe in Jesus, doesn't cause you to be saved. Your salvation, your trust in Jesus, the grace that brings that about leads you to obedience, leads you to good works. There is a correlation, there is a causation. So it's not like your good deeds and things has nothing to do with your faith it's not like i trust and and what i do with my life has no correlation but it is caused by faith not by doing good works causing faith and so he wants us to understand that a faith that saves is a faith that necessarily produces good works but those good works are not what earns salvation it is a saving faith and a persevering faith and so we Apply this to ourselves. And he brings two things. One, verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you in an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. We don't just say, well, I made a, I made a um, decision when I was a child, and however I live has any, nothing to do with that. I can know that I'm going to heaven because I raised my hand in an event. Today, are you trusting in him? Today, have you committed yourself to following him? Today, are you uh, trusting him in such a way that you are being obedient? If you're trusting, it is necessarily gonna lead to obedience. If I trust Jesus, I'm going to be merciful. If I trust Jesus, I'm gonna be generous. If I trust Jesus, I'm gonna listen when he says, pluck out your eye lest you someone from lust, cut off your hand instead of you still. That, that is gonna have some bearing in my life in the way I live if I truly trust in him. Are you doing that? Are you trusting in Him in such a way that it leads to obedience? But the other thing, but exhort one another every day as long as it it's called today. Um, exhort one another. So one, I need to be looking. We need to be looking in our hearts. Are we believing? Are we trusting today? But the other is we're called to exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. We encourage one another. That, that word exhort is paracleo. It's from the, the same word when Jesus says, I'm going to send a comforter. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's the paraclete. He's the comforter. He is the encourager. He's the advocate. And this is a wonderful thing for us to hear because, you know, my, my initial temptation is, well, if it's disobedience and, and we need to exhort one another, I'm going to look and say, oh, don't sin. Don't do that. I see this in your life. You need to change. I'm really good at finding in other people's lives, right? So, but, but it says we do this for one another, but the, it's exhorting. It's not judging and pointing out. It's encouraging and building up. So you encourage one another. We need one another. We need somebody to, as I'm, as I'm like feeling the guilt and as I'm feeling burdened, I need someone to build me up and encourage me. How do we encourage? One is when you see others, to remind them, of uh, the th- things they're doing and the gifts you're seeing. It is so good to see you. It's good, good to see you serving. Uh, so good to see the, the way you are reaching out and caring for others. To, to see that and, and brag on one another as you see these things. But more than that, do what the writer of Hebrews is doing. Remind one another how great Jesus is. We encourage one another when we talk about He is worthy, He is merciful. He has given you the resources you need. And we remind one another of how great Jesus is and how great the salvation he gives us. And we exhort one another and we encourage one another as we gather in worship and and as we are actively doing these things of of giving our gifts and reminding one another of what he's done for us and and building one another up and, and Let me just say with this, one of the things we need to be encouraging our own hearts, encouraging one another, you know, we can be really good about reminding ourselves of our sinfulness and confessing that. And that is good. We need to confess. We need to be honest. But we don't have to um, see ourselves as primarily that way. There's a sense in which what you focus on kind of you start going towards. And if we're always reminding ourselves of our sin and our sinfulness, We need to be honest. We confess that every Sunday, but we also need to remember you're a child of God. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you to empower you to follow Him. You're not struggling against sin as an unregenerate, as someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. You have Jesus praying for you, you have the gifts of the church to encourage you, you have the word and the sacrament working in your heart. You are chosen and loved by him. Jesus has died for you, and we encourage ourselves, remembering I'm struggling against sin, but I'm not doing it without the encouragement of all the blessings and gifts God has given me, that he's given you, that he's given us as we follow him and pursue, trusting in him, a faith that saves, that brings us Out of bondage and into rest is a faith that perseveres and a faith that is obedient. It is still a faith that is fueled by grace and not by my own effort. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed.